So turn in your Bibles or your Bible apps to uh, John 15. I'm a little bit live here, Ben. John 15. But first, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we give you this time. We are grateful for the presence of your Holy Spirit. We are grateful for your word. It is your desire to speak to us in each and every moment of our lives. And I pray that you would speak to each one. Prepare each heart. May it be fertile soil for the planting of your word. Water it with your Holy Spirit that we may know your heart. Now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. All for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So we continue our sermon series on the life and work of Jesus Christ. We will be in John 15, as I just said. John 15 is a part of a larger section, verses 13, uh, chapters 13, 13 through 20, often called Jesus' farewell discourse. It's right at Passover. Jesus is beginning to pray, uh, prepare for his own death. And then within that is a subsection, verses, uh, chapters 14 through 17, which is often called Jesus' final words. And 15 is right, sandwiched right in the midst of that. Some of the themes of this section are Jesus talks about going away. I must go away and be with my Father. But don't worry, I'm going to send a helper to you. I'm going to send you my Holy Spirit. He talks about the loving relationship that exists between him and his Heavenly Father. He talks about the Spirit empowering God's people to carry out his mission. And then he makes it very clear that there will be opposition for the disciples of Christ. So that's the section. We're right in the midst of that in chapter 15. I will be reading from verses 1 through 13. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. The son is the vine, the true vine. The father, the gardener. So once again, Jesus highlights this perfect relationship that exists between father and son. 
He does it, he talks about it quite frequently throughout his earthly ministry. And the book of John talks about it quite a bit. It shows it off. The perfect relationship between the Heavenly Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am the true vine. The vineyard was a popular image in the Old Testament for the nation of Israel. We see this especially in the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah, there are these two vineyard songs where the prophet sings of this very thing. In one of the songs in chapter 5 of Isaiah, God does everything necessary to produce fruit, that is, good works, from the Israelites. He clears the soil of rocks. He plants choice grapevines. He puts a watchtower over the vineyard for its protection. And at the end of that song, God looks to the vineyard, looks to Israel to produce a bounty of succulent, ripe grapes. Instead, what he gets are wild, tasteless grapes. So, tasteless, wild grapes, the sinful fruit that is often produced in our lives. Fruit is this image for good works, or in this case, bad works. Fruit. What does it mean to, have, to be the fruit of God, to bear these kind of tasty, juicy, good works that, find, that the Lord, our Father, finds so pleasing? As I was preparing this, song, this sermon, I'm not sure exactly why I thought of this, but Don Graves, many of you, Don Graves is a good friend of mine. Many of you know Don Graves. He, uh, he and his wife, uh, Shelly, went to this church a while back. Don Graves calls me sweet juicy. Um, I don't exactly know why Don Graves calls me sweet juicy. He just calls me sweet juicy. So every time I call Don, I'm like, D. Graves, Miss Dr. Graves, how you doing? The first thing he says is, juicy. Sweet, juicy. For some reason, the Lord brought that to my mind. Maybe he is thinking of this chapter. I don't know. But it's, it's this great image that our good works are to be sweet and juicy, very tasteful and pleasing to our Heavenly Father. It occurs to me, I'll have to ask Don why he calls me that. But anyway, the vineyard, this vineyard of choice grapes, is the backdrop behind John 15. Jesus' disciples and eventually the church are the new vineyard. And they will produce fruit if certain conditions are met. As a grapevine needs the right conditions to produce a bountiful harvest of juicy grapes. It needs fertile soil. It needs the right climate, plenty of sunshine. It needs the pruning of the vine. So certain conditions must be met for Christ's disciples to produce their fruit. And we will talk about three conditions. Condition number one, remaining in God's love, Christ's love. Condition number two, joyful obedience. And condition number three, sacrificial love. So condition number one, remaining in the Father's love and remaining in the heart of our Father. This is the perfect climate. This is the ultimate sunshine in which we produce the fruit of our good works the love of the Father. There is this beautiful, loving relationship that exists between Father and Son. And you see it throughout the whole book of John. Jesus says, I'm going away to be with the Father. 
Ever since he became a man, he could only be in one place at a time. When he goes to be with the Father, he knows that we need his presence, so he sends his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit being the personal presence of this loving relationship that exists between Father and Son. So you have this beautiful image of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, perfect, loving relationship. And Jesus says, you must remain in that love if you are to produce the fruit that I desire for your life. Remain in my love. Remain in me. Some translations say abide. Abide in me. Be connected to the source as a vine is to the branches. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Remain in me. That is remain in this loving relationship. In order to be fruitful, in order to produce these juicy grapes that God desires, we must begin every single day connected to God's loving relationship. We must connect to the heart of the Father. The challenge is that's often difficult for for us. We lose sight of this fact that God loves us, and he wants to draw us into his loving relationship. I find that if I do not connect with that source of love, the moment I wake up, things do not go well for me that day. There's all kinds of ways to connect with the Father's love, to connect with this loving relationship between Father and Son. You have to choose what works well for you. Here is my way of doing this. Every single morning, almost every single morning, I pray Martin Luther's, what I call his father prayer. Now, I've shared this before, but I think it's worth sharing again. The prayer of Martin Luther, which he prayed almost every single day, goes like this. Father, you could rightly and properly be a severe judge over us sinners. But now, through your mercy, implant in our hearts a comforting trust in your fatherly love. And let us experience the sweet and pleasant savor of a childlike certainty, that we may joyfully call you Father, knowing and loving you, and calling on you in every trouble. That is the prayer that I pray almost every single day in order to connect with this love. Another way that you can connect with it, this had a huge impact on my life, is Unbound Prayer. We have an Unbound Prayer team. It's been in place for a while. I remember... If you look at my life, I have been a Christian for a very long time. But one of the difficult things of my life, I won't get into the reasons for it, is I was never able for the long period of time to connect with the love of the Father. Yes, I knew God loved me in my head. I could say it with my mouth, God loves me. But I just could never connect to it as a vine is connected to its branches, as branches connect to the vine. And then I went for unbound prayer, just like that. I knew, not only in my mind, but in the deepest parts of my heart, that God loved me. What was that about? It was about spiritual oppression. It was about somehow the enemy had gotten a stake in my life, and the Lord used unbound to break it. So I encourage you, there's, there's a prayer team that's available for you. If you, like me, maybe you've been a Christian all of your life, but it's that part, I just can't quite connect to the love of the Father. Then there's this song, I, I, I play this quite frequently, Chris Tomlin, Good, Good Father, we sing it quite a bit in this congregation. There are mornings where I will pray that song over and over and over again until my heart becomes, to, becomes alive 
to the knowledge of God's love for me. You're a good, good father. That's who you are. And I'm loved by you. That's who I am. And I will just, I will just repeat that as much as it takes. And then the other thing I do, I've been doing this for a while. I ask the staff of this congregation to pray for me every single week that I would have intimacy with God in prayer. And every single week they pray that for me. It's my first prayer request every single week. And now it's become this kind of drumbeat of our staff where we pray for each other that we would have intimacy in prayer, that we would know the heart of the Father. We pray for each other all the time. So those are just a couple of examples how I do it, how I connect to the heart of the Father, how I connect to the love that Jesus Christ has for me. Condition number two, joyful obedience. This is the fertile soil necessary for ripe, succulent fruit. How do we remain in God's love? Jesus says, you keep my commandments. If we do, he promises that our joy will be full. Joyful obedience to the commandments of Christ. It occurred to me as I was preparing this sermon that we often think of obedience as a burden. We often think of it as drudgery. But Jesus says obedience is a joy. It's one of the reasons we, we put it right into our mission statement. As a family following Jesus in the city, we commit ourselves to walk together in faith, repentance, and obedience. Joyful obedience. But, as in Isaiah 5, what we often find is not joyful obedience, not ripe fruit, sweet fruit, juicy fruit. We see the tasteless grapes of Isaiah 5. We see things like addiction to sex and pornography, drugs, alcohol, food. But also we see things like anxiety and pride and self-righteousness, perfectionism, and our need to control others. These are often the fruit that comes from our lives. These are the tasteless wild grapes of Isaiah 5. So what, in the midst of all this sin that seems to capture our hearts, what leads us to joyful obedience? Well, John, I think, provides a very interesting model of obedience. In chapter 13, which starts this whole section, Jesus washes the feet his disciples. In this act, God is revealing the true nature. Jesus is revealing the true nature of God as a loving servant. And this is the ultimate example of Jesus' joyful obedience. He's showing that he's a servant. He's a servant who will actually go to the cross. But he is a servant. That is who God is. And this is where we see the life and work of Jesus Christ coming to its fullness. This is where we see the beauty of what Jesus calls joyful obedience. His obedience, his joy, his service to us as a loving God. So, if you find yourself joyless in your obedience, let me encourage this. First, Tap into the love of God, that, he, that God loves you. He really, really loves you. We often say, not only does he love you, he really, really likes you as well. And then be a servant. 
Who do you know who needs your service today? So if you're struggling with a sin of any kind, I'll just choose one. Let's say pornography. I know that I know enough about people, even people in the church, that plagues us at times. If that is your issue or any other issue, be a servant. Who do you know? So instead of focusing on your sin, be a servant. Love somebody. Who do you know who needs your service? Serve them today. Serve them tomorrow. Serve another person the next day, and so on, and so on. That connects you to Christ's own obedience. It connects you to the heart of the Father. It connects you to this, the idea that God is a loving servant. You're becoming like him. And then notice what happens to your addiction to pornography. I don't think it's going to be a magic cure. There will still be a struggle. And it can be any other sin pattern that you have. But notice what happens when you tap into the heart of the Father and then you choose to get outside yourself and love somebody else, just as Christ loved his disciples. Serve them. Wash their feet as a lowly servant. Become a lowly servant to somebody else and see what happens to the sin patterns in your life. Condition number three is sacrificial love. Dying for a friend. This is the pruning of the vine. Right in the middle of John, there are chapters 11 and 12. It's this kind of midway point through the whole book. This is the story where Jesus hears that Lazarus has died. Lazarus is one of his best friends, along with Lazarus' sisters Mary and Martha. Jesus spent time in their home in Bethany, And you can just tell by the way he talks of this family. He loved them. They were his friends while he was on earth. And he hears of Lazarus' death. Now, by this time, the religious rulers in Jerusalem have already plotted the death of Jesus Christ. And Bethany, where Lazarus lives, is right next to Jerusalem. So Jesus has this choice that he has to make. Will I go to Bethany near Jerusalem? If I do, I will surely die. What decision does he make? He goes. Jesus is literally laying down his life for his friend Lazarus. And that is such a beautiful picture of the cross. The justice of God requires the death of Jesus on the cross. And he will lay down his life for all of those he calls friends, including you, and me. Jesus will endure the wrath of God on the cross for his friends. In Scripture, interestingly enough, the wrath of God is pictured as a cup of wine. We see this in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 25, for example, verses 15 through 16. It says this, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, said to me. Take from my hand this cup filled with the wine of my wrath and make all nations to whom I send you drink it. When they drink it, they will stagger and go mad because of the sword I will send among them. So we no longer have this picture of sweet, ripe fruit, the good works of men. It is a much darker picture of God killing people in his wrath because of their sin. In Revelation 14, an angel speaks and says, If anyone worships the beast 
and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. At one point, Jesus says to his disciples, can you drink the cup that I am about to drink? He's referring to this same cup, the cup of God's wrath. And on the cross, Jesus consumes the cup, that cup of wrath, down to its dregs. To its final drop for you and for me. He drinks it all. It is the cup of wrath that was meant for us. And Jesus takes it upon himself. Why? To save his friends. To raise them from the dead as he did Lazarus. To raise you and I from the dead, the death that we deserved. We were all dead in our transgressions and sin. And praise be to God, Jesus Christ endured that wrath for us. Because he counted us his friends. It is the wonder of the cross. It is the wonder of the cross. This is not the time to be stoic. It is the wonder of the cross. Hallelujah. There's a time to be stoic, but now is not the time. It is the wonder of the cross. Jesus had nails put into his wrist, into his feet, the crown of thorns upon his head, his blood dripping down upon the earth because he loved you as his friends. Hallelujah. Glory be to the Savior of ours. Verse 13 chapter, in our chapter says, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And then Jesus says, says to us, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. This is the ultimate fruit that Jesus wants to see in our lives. In order to bear much fruit, God must lead us into the fellowship of his own sufferings. He must prune us in order that we may bear even more fruit for his glory. Our sacrificial love as the body of Christ towards others points to the ultimate sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. It is what we demonstrate to an unbelieving world. When Jesus went to heaven to be with the Father and then sent out his Holy Spirit to remind us of this perfect loving relationship and to engulf us in that relationship, Another thing happened. We became his body. We are the only Jesus that people will see until he comes back in glory. So our sacrificial love has to point to his love. If not, we're no longer connected to the vine. Make sense? It's important. It's just too easy to become focused on ourselves. Instead, we need to focus on the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ on the cross. It leads to our joyful obedience as Jesus' own joyful obedience of washing the feet of his disciples. And then finally, we get to the point where we remain in the love of the Father. It's all about the heart of the Father, a heart of love towards us, his people. So let us go forth Let us bear much fruit. It's sweet, juicy time, as Don Graves would say. It's time for us to show ourselves 
Show the good works that God has prepared for us to do. That an unbelieving world would see it and go, what is it with these Christians and their joy? What is it with these Christians in the midst of all, their, all of this suffering that they go through? They are still joyful. Well, we know the answer. It's because we serve a joyful Savior. We serve a joyful God who has produced all this abundant fruit in us, all this succulent and ripe juicy fruit that we are to show to an unbelieving world, that they may know that Jesus Christ loves them, that they may know that Jesus Christ, if they call on his name, is willing to say, you are my friend too. So let's go, remaining in Christ's love, connected as a vine is to its branches, and the branches is to the vine. Let's pray. Lord, it is true. There is all this abundance in us as your people. There's all this ripe, succulent fruit that represents our good works. Forgive us, Lord. Oftentimes we don't even think that's true, but it's true because you died for us. It's true because you said you are connected to me if you call on my name. Yes, I may prune you, but that's only that I might produce a bigger harvest in your life. So, Lord, I pray that we, as your servants, would go forth in joyful obedience, following your own example, putting away the deeds of darkness, putting away these tasteless wild grapes in our lives, in order that we may have the abundant fruit that comes with the kingdom of light. Make this so for us. Spread this knowledge across this land and this city, not only through our church, but other faithful churches. May people see the joy that it means, the joy it is to follow you, our Savior. Only for your glory, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.